0: The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Welcome, everybody. How are you guys? For those of you guys who are dads, you probably know how being a father is one of the uh, probably one of the best experiences you have as a human being, uh, as, a, as a man, I guess, you know, you don't you don 't give birth to these people know that 's what you know, you know i 'll say it again i 've said it before. It always trips me out that women make people they make people they make immortal beings and i 've always found that just so mysterious and wonderful and so as dads we, we just you know we just go to work and pay the bills so that 's our role in that for those of you who are single men um, and you can tell because they 're like, like nervous Chihuahuas waiting to get married they're um, Being a father is probably going to be one of the most wonderful experiences you'll ever have. So, happy Father's Day to all of you dads. If you've been with us for the past uh, four weeks, you know that we've been having a conversation surrounding these banners that you see around here. the, uh, The different ones explaining our culture and our ethos and what should define us as individuals and what we hope will define us as a community. And whether you're visiting from another a spiritual community, or examining what this is all about this is, this is kind of an almost an inside conversation to who we are as followers of Jesus Christ and so this morning, you notice that the banner wind or the metaphor of wind is what we 'll be discussing. The first was course earth discussing our character and fire speaking of communion wood, speaking of connection and water, of community, but this morning we were going to talk about the word and the metaphor of wind. So if you have a Bible with me, or if you can watch the screen, let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. To um, sort of paint a picture, this is a, um, in the city of Jerusalem, which is up on a hill, so that no matter where you are in Israel, you always go up to Jerusalem. Whether you're in the north, side, east, whatever, you always go up to Jerusalem, the city of on this hill, there, there were so many thousands of Jewish men and their families from around the world who, if they had any ability to do so, would travel to Jerusalem for Passover. The, fist, the festival of Pentecost was 50 days later and it was meant as a celebration. And so you still have a town full of a lot of people from around the world who spoke different languages and had a slightly different flavor on how they expressed their Judaism and their faith. It was at this moment that God uses to explode and ignite and begin to expand his church or his people um, and then to continue the, the almost forever message of looking to rescue people and humanity. And so, if you can kind of imagine a, a, a hustling, bustling sort of town full of folks, that's the scene you have to picture when you see this in context. So, in chapter 2 of Acts, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, this is speaking of the, um, of the disciples, early followers. And then suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now Let me just stop right there and, and leave it at that for a moment. Um, this is one of those times where I think it's surprising to us to see how often these metaphors are used in our scriptures, in our holy book that we call the Bible. And I think it's surprising to us sometimes, those of us who are uh, Western, um, because we have grown up essentially with a, a cross metaphor or a fish metaphor. And we forget that our faith is, has its first expression in the Middle East. And so if you kind of peel back or detox it from its uh, Southern Californian thing, the surf thing that comes out here and L.A. vibe that it has, if you detox it from its Southern California thing, its, its West Coast thing, its Western thing, its European thing, you get back to some very interesting, almost you know, transcendent metaphors, and one of them is wind. But the thing that's interesting about this wind metaphor is that it's is that when God is described as wind, it's it's a it's not this gentle breeze. It's not a comfortable sort of um you know one of those day at the park. Let me sit under the shade and be cooled by the gentle breeze that strikes my forehead and the beating little glistening alarm my nose. He's described as a cyclone, as a, as a as the author put here. As Luke put here in this book, a violent wind filled the entire house. And I don't know if those first few folks, these first few people who were followers of Jesus Christ who had experienced what their rabbi had taught them. Seen him do these miracles and seen him then die and was executed horribly and then come back to life. These, all these powerful experiences were leading up to this moment where the wind of God would then come upon them and fill them in a the way that had never happened before in history. Ever. I think that they were, for the first time, these first human beings were empowered, they were... That's the word I want. We're changed. This, this is something new in human history that's happening this moment. I, I think we sort of are kind of used to this story. Those of us who grew up in a, in a Pentecostal environment, um, our friends who are in that sort of expression of Christianity, um, this, this has been expressed in various ways. Some of it maybe seems foreign and odd to us. Um, in different cultures and expansions of Christianity, um, it seems very emotional and highly sort of expressive. There's quieter moments. Some of our friends are maybe in an orthodox environment. But this, this had never happened before. Where people were connecting to God in a way that was completely disruptive. And it's, I find it also interesting that the same word for wind is also the word that's used for Spirit whether it's the Old or New Testament, you could translate this word, a violent spirit came across it. Whether it's Ruach in the Old Testament or Numa in the New Testament, it's the same thing. It's the same word. And um, I think that we are uh, definitely okay with experiencing God in a way that's manageable for us. Where we find ourselves fitting our needs. I'm lonely. I'm hurting. I need a job. I need friends. You know, whatever that thing might be. But to risk everything and actually ask God, nothing's off the table. If you need to, by your spirit, by your wind, come into my soul and blow out and touch what's damaged, nothing Is unprotected. I will hold on to nothing to fully experience you. It's. um, I think because it's such a a consistent theme in my life. You know, I. I, uh, I'm going to go back to my wife for just a moment, and for those of you who know, she's cringing right at this moment. Like, what are you going to say? You know, what? Use a filter, please. Think before you talk. Which. I've never done. So I mean, why would I start now? You know, I remember this moment. We were on Atlantic Boulevard at a restaurant in Monterey Park where we both admitted to each other for the first time that we loved each other. I mean, we didn't say, I'm really fond of you. You know, there was no longer this, I like you, you're neat, you know, a little punch on the shoulder. But when I I opened up and said to my girlfriend at the time, who became my wife, I love you, it was a huge risk. Well, really not so much. No, it was a huge risk because there's that chance that the answer is going to be, well, uh, this is our first date and this is creepy, you know. The risk is, is that you know there wouldn't be that love back. Now, some of you guys, you feel that tension? That's at some level what I'm speaking about when I mention that we have this love relationship with God where we actually put nothing back, hold nothing back, Protect nothing, and completely expose ourselves to the force and the power and the wind or the spirit of God to ignite us into life. And yet, as wonderful as that sounds, it, it it's not it's not just for ourselves. See, I, I wonder if, if if we really, I wonder if we really, and I have to ask myself this question as I was processing. This, for the past few days how much I really could stand or want the full force of God's desire and plan and intention for my life. How much I could stand or do I really want his full mission for my life? See, and and that's, that's one of those questions you guys have to process on your own. Because of some of the responsibilities that I have here, folks will ask me, what do you think God wants for my life? What job I... I don't know. You know, honestly, he's not playing peekaboo with his desires. He'll talk to you, he'll tell you. But I know this that a lot of it is often we want the God that is manageable and that will meet us when we want, as we want, how we want, and not the violent, unpredictable God that risks. Let me tell you, let me take you to a story in John chapter three that 's familiar to most of us John chapter three small house late at night, lit by oil fueled lamps, little bowls uh, a man who has known God as, as solid and a rock, predictable rules, guidelines that govern my every every expression of my life, how I eat, how I wash, how I dress, when I get up, how often I pray. This was Nicodemus, who was intently interested in connecting to God. He travels into sort of the, you know, low-rent area of Jerusalem to find this young rabbi and ask him about connection to God. And so you have to picture this one man simply dressed, you know, tanned, muscular from having worked with his body all these years. And then Nicodemus, an older man, much more gray in his beard, with robes and a serious intent because he's on a quest. Now, this is the story. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, That we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now now what I love about this is, did you you notice that Nicodemus never asked that question? Uh, You know, by the way, how do I see the kingdom of God? Even before it's even processed, you know, it's, it's, And this has happened to some of us, where you're having that soul-to-soul conversation with Christ. And so Nicodemus is already in the conversation, and he replies, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus said, listen, I tell you the truth, that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of the water and born of the Spirit. Because flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is of everyone who is born of the spirit. In this case, the wind. Nicodemus, you have lived an honorable life. You have not failed in your commitment to your devotion to God. But Nicodemus, you need to understand that at some level, you are never going to experience the kingdom of God in your life unless you are no longer trying to manage this for yourself. And you experience the wind that will bring you life and life from heaven itself. See, Nicodemus, you have to understand that at some level, this is a mysterious thing. And for you, since it's not on your list, since it's not on paper, since it's not a a guideline you can follow, you're never going to get it that way. Because God enters by his Spirit into the souls of men and women who ask for it. And because God is a good God and a kind God and a merciful God, He gives it freely. But as long as you think there's a part that you play in effort, in earning, in working towards, in moving towards him, you're going to miss it. Because in reality, from from Adam throughout the scriptures, God always moves towards us. That's the dynamic. That's the picture. And this wind isn't meant to be chaotic and disruptive. It's not meant to harm, it's meant to give life. I, I don't know if we, for those of us who, who call ourselves followers of Christ, how often we might miss that, that that is the defining characteristic of our life. Or at least it ought to be. Because when this wind invades us, what's meant to happen is for us then to pass it along to others by how we live, not just what we say. See, that, that absolves us of too much responsibility simply just to tell people to, why don't you come to church? And if they don't come, well, we write them off. We sometimes, for whatever, I, I, I think it's well intentioned, but I, I think it's very narrow and small and, and violates what God wants. That we almost intentionally choose friendships with people that only agree with us that, or, or affirm us. rather than having friendships with people, period, and staying in relationships with them. And if you get a glimpse into the purpose of the life of Jesus, you will absolutely understand your purpose here. I'll give you an example. Go to John chapter 4. It's just the next page over, probably. John 4, verse 27. We've touched on this story before, and I've... I mentioned that, you know, to kind of feel the tension of this, you have to, you know, there's such a, there's, there's, there's a racial overtone, there's a, there's, a, there's a sexist overtone in this particular passage. You have to understand that for Jesus to talk to this woman, it, it was so out of the box. No self-respecting Jewish man would have talked to this woman. And that's what makes the story so wonderful, is that Jesus wasn't a self-respecting Jew in that respect. He was God in the flesh who loved people. And so, he, uh, this is after they're traveling. Jesus is sitting by this well to get water. The other 11 disciples went to go get food. And by the way, they weren't getting food in that town. They wouldn't eat the filthy, disgusting food of the Samaritans. Because it would defile them. And in their understanding of how God worked, what they ate determined their connection to God. So they leave to go get food, leaving Jesus behind. Woman comes out, middle of a hot day to get water, which tells you something about how she was received in her own community. They have a conversation. She's soul-challenged by the words of Christ and then leaves. Just as she's leaving, disciples roll up on the scene Verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, wow, what do you want? Or why why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, hey, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? (laughs) You know what I love about that? Come see a guy who knows every horrible, nasty secret about my life. Would you go? I mean, I was thinking, well, I I don't know if I want everybody to know about my uh, my ugly little nasties. So she's excited. And and they came out of town and made their way towards him. But meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And he said to them, "I, I have food to eat that you don't know nothing about. And then verse 33, his disciples said to each other, wow, could someone have brought him food? Would the rabbi have eaten this food? And understanding what they were processing, he says, verse 34, Listen, guys, you know what my food is? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps, is true. Listen, I sent you to reap for what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I want you to draw attention to verse 34. It is the will, my work is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Go to chapter 19, verse 38 for just a moment. Here's what I want to tell you about this and then we're going to go on. When Christ came to, has he put it complete the work that he had for his father? I want you to understand that he doesn't call us to say, I want you guys to join me so you can have the best friends ever. I want you guys to come along so we can all have music that no one else listens to but us. I want you guys to come along so you guys can wear clothing that is all scriptures and really creep out people that you don't know. I want you guys to come alongside so that everything that you want is absolutely fulfilled and hopefully someone else catches it. Understand that the purpose of Christ was always moving towards people who were the furthest away as they felt it from God himself. In fact, if I could give you a, some kind sort of picture, I, I think at times we have this idea that God's this bullseye. That, you know, he, you know, at, he's at this place and there's people that are further away. There's some that are closer, you know, based on what we judge as their behavior, what God would probably prefer. But He's stationary. And we just got to get moved towards Him and help people move towards Him. The image in the scriptures is God moving towards people always. In fact, you know, in fact, The Muslim who is seeking God through his prayers and trying to understand and and embrace the God that he knows at this time with what he understands may be closer to God than folks sitting in church this morning who are disinterested because of the intensity of the search and their heart's desire because of the conversations that they're having with God. See, we, we have a sense that if you know this, and if you know that, and if you follow it my way, then you are close to God. And I have to tell you that some of the folks who, if you are one of those people this morning, whether you're a follower or not, that you're sensing, man, I have lived a life that would, surely if God is good, he's not interested in, in his blazing goodness, and his blazing holiness. Surely he cannot... Be all that simpatico towards me. Understand that you are exactly the person that God's moving towards. And I, I find it funny that we have turned the story around that it is somehow performance-based. I know that my wife will love me in spite of me. Some of you who are you have parents I'm telling you that even when you did everything goofy weird and your parents wanted to kill you it was out of love <laughs> it was because of love that when you came home 4 hours late and you were not injured that they wanted to put you in the hospital they wound because they care <laughs> And so the church exists to fulfill God's purpose in caring for people. Mission is why the church exists, not the building, not the institution. It's the individuals. And I also realize that at times when uh, churches get large and, uh, you know, they start to grow, that folks are worried about them. Oh, you know, let's just stay small and and, and, you know, intimate, and if we get big, you know, something will be changed. I, I think because we kind of intuitively know that occasionally when churches get large, they lose the original charter, they lose the sense of urgency. And what has to happen, you have to manage the beast that is the building and the insurances and the notes and all that. But I, I have noticed that no one seems to worry about the Peace Corps getting too big. Or the Sisters of Mercy in India getting too big. Or, or, or folks who work with the homeless getting too big. Nobody worries about the Fred Jordan Mission getting too big. The reason is, they kept the focus on folks. But um, that means that there's disruption. New folks coming in, dynamics changing... Yeah, and there was a time when, you know, we all knew each other. That'll change. Let's go to Acts chapter 17 for just a moment. I want to tell you a little bit more about God's mission and God's posture towards us. Acts 17, 17 verse 24. Paul's in um, Greece, this area of, of an extremely cultured, intelligent people. They spent most of the time at this particular gathering discussing new ideas and philosophies and and they would critique each other's work and ideas. And so Paul's there, he's noticing some of the uh, statues that are around the place and he begins to talk to them. From this point, Paul uses the truth that they understand as a launching pad to continue to speak to them about God. And in this particular context, because these folks had no respect for or any value for the scriptures, it had no credibility in their life, he simply uses their writings, their poets, their culture to point them to Christ. And so he continues in his speech, and he says in verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And I want you to catch this. And he determined the times set for them. And the exact places where they should live. Why? Why? God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Um, None of my kids have ever said this, but have you ever wished that you had different parents? Lie. I mean, are you folks here? Is that what's happening? Is that why there's no reaction? You know, if only I'd been born to smarter parents, wealthier parents, different area of town. How many of you are those kind of people that you always wanted to live in a different era? Um, I watch. Uh, okay, good. Well, one information. Uh, whenever I watch a film, too. Whenever I watch a film, I'm always noticing how the guys dress. You know, the guys from the '40s and the '50s always in the suit and. You know, like the Cary Grant with the hair perfect and all that. And I'm like, well, I would love to do that, but I'm just not that guy. You know, it looks so together and cool Till you realize that most of their suits are wool and it's the summertime. You only imagine how that must have been reeky. You know, I'm I'm one of those people that have to shower once or twice a day, like two or three times a day sometimes, just to feel, can't get clean, can't get clean, you know. And uh, my point in all this is that for each of you, each of you, you were born in the moment you were born to the parents you were born infused with their DNA in the city, in the country at the time that was the most optimal place for you to find God. You can't say, if only I had been born, then I would be this magnanimous, wonderful person. No. God in his kindness towards each one of us placed us in this history of human history where we are so that we'd have the optimal opportunity to reach out and connect to God. If you for go back and look at your ancestry, I have a, 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 a grandfather from France uh, and then of course Mexico and then my parents as a young couple came to the country legally back in the 50s and uh, you know, became legal residents, and then one of them a citizen, and and I was born, and I, and and what I also found out in my story is that they had planned to have only so many kids, and that's what they could afford. And uh, a couple of my sisters died in the process, and and then I was born, and then there was uh, my brother was born, and there was just you know, and, and I think of all the things that came into place. When I know my story, I understand that even the school I went to, meeting this young you know first grader who invited me to their home and as a young catholic kid you know recognizing some of the religious art that was there but it was different and and having this family pray with me for grace over meals was different and i realize now that was probably the first time somebody took the time to talk to me about jesus christ each of you have that same story If you were to look back and peel back how you got here or or perhaps some of you wonder, well, how can I connect to a God who doesn't care for 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 the Eskimo or the Aborigine or... You know, it's always amazing to me how people who don't go to church are so concerned for people who live in other countries that don't go to church. But you're here this morning. You got here today. And the friends and the people that you know that invited you Their story came from who knows where to intersect with yours so that you would have an opportunity to connect to Jesus Christ. And this is the mission and the purpose for each of us who call Him our Lord and all of us who call ourselves followers. God's work, the work of Christ, and the mission for each of us is just to care for people and along the way to help them connect to Jesus Christ. And I, sometimes I, I think that we fail to see that our family, our hometown, our schools, our career, all of it was meant to help us to connect to God. And this is why mission is why the church exists. But there's more than that. See, Jesus, as I pointed out to you, doesn't call us and, and connect to us for us. Now, I understand, I get it, that there's a social component to every church. You make friends at church. And it gets to be the point that sometimes that's a good portion of your social outlet are people that you know from church. But it shouldn't always be on Sunday mornings. I mean, if the only time we ever see each other are on Sunday mornings, I think, you know, how close are we? Um, I know some of you get together, go to movies. Oh, by the way, this is a spoiler alert, okay? The happening Didn't. Spoiler alert, but I'm, uh, I'm saving you money. I'm, I'm, this is an act of kindness. I know a lot of you guys get together now in places that I never... You, you know, you, you go out, you do stuff, you have friendships, and people who are not part of your, your spiritual communities are, are your friends, and I think that's exactly what ought to happen. People who have different lives, different lifestyles, different views, different views on politics. See, because the, the goal is not to subversively trick people to come into Jesus... Let me be nice to this person so that they'll go to church, and then I can rearrange them. <laughs> it's it's not marriage. I love you, just as you are. Now let me work on you, change you the rest of my life. When you read the story of Jesus, what's interesting for me to discover is how often he simply just does good to people and folks who never become his followers. You understand that the God that cares for us, regardless of our reaction towards Him, God still gives them families, friends. You know, if, even if a person is evil, they get to enjoy good food. Or home brews, beers, and music, and dance. All these gifts that God gives us to everyone, anyone, just for their enjoyment. And then we get this weirdness that we want to dole out and ration out our kindness and love for people only if or mostly if they're like us. And we even do that among ourselves. Mission is why we exist. To encourage folks to become the best at who they are and connect to Jesus Christ. And this is the, the privilege that we get to do have in participating with him I want to close with a couple of thoughts your your deepest most intent connection relationally will happen when it happens with God through Jesus Christ period this, this is who we are the second most important thing that you'll do with your life regardless of what schooling you have and career choices you make people that you will meet, marriages that may happen, is how you treat other people because there's no other way for folks to measure if God exists but by us. I I understand there's a place for defending our faith, which, you know, even that phrase sort of makes me uncomfortable because what are we defending if people are not interested If men and women who call themselves followers of Jesus would simply live out the mission of Jesus, there's a whole lot less to deal with and defend. Almost every non-profit institution has greater credibility than churches. And part of that is because the people that inhabit those churches don't care for the people who are criticizing them. Here's what what I'm going to suggest as we end this series. Make it a point. Examine yourselves. Am I that kind of person, that people who, do I have friendships with people who disagree with me? Am my relationships actually meaningful? Do I even know how to talk to somebody who's not part of my spiritual community? Do I have interests, anything that's interesting to other people? And it, it, by the way, if you're a guest today and, and you don't you know, call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, um, it's kind of an inside conversation today. Uh, we're glad you're here. Welcome. I hope that maybe some questions were raised for you. And it'll lead you to other questions. I want you to know that in the back uh, of our little gathering, there's a table of literature. There's a free New Testament or a free Bible. You can just have it. No one's going to call you and bombard you with emails yet. But, 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 and no salesperson will call. But we just want you to have that literature and let God speak to you directly. Because we believe that since he lives, he still talks to people. All right, let me go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And we have a couple of announcements. Father, thank you so much for your kindness and, and, and for all the great and wonderful things you do for us. You, you give us a family. You give us friends. You've allowed wonderful foods to be made and, and drink and you, people to create music and dance and art and beauty in this world. And for all of this, it's so great. So thank you for this world that we have. But I also want to thank you, Father, for the gift of life, this wind that will infuse our souls. And what I pray is that we allow you you to just really open up our sails and to experience it full force and its full beauty and might. That we become those people who are people of the wind on mission, caring for humanity. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.